Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 24th of February 2012. For newcomers, help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find hundreds and hundreds of free audios for download and uh, hopefully you'll start to understand the system in which you're, you've been born into. A system designed by experts, again, this, these, these experts are just everywhere, always have been by the way. And how about a hundred years ago or so, a group got together. I'm sure they already, already ran the old age into the new age now, but they plan to take over the world's resources and bring in a planned society the way it should be run, you see, the way that life should be run for everyone, uh, with uh, lots of experts running us from cradle to grave. And meanwhile, they would take over the resources of the whole planet themselves, not to redistribute it uh, equally or anything like that, but simply to the better people should be in charge of ownership and not the, the fussy types down below. And that's literally what it is. And the mainstream media covers for them because they belong to the same organizations. They're owned by the same big organizations and foundations that own the non-governmental organizations and all these armies and armies of protesters that can be drummed up to go anywhere across the world at a moment's notice. So we're run by, really by proxy in a sense, at least the way it seems to be right now. We're living in a, a, a strange um, transition period, as it's called, and they actually call it the Great Transition. But this is the transition period where we're getting trained to go into the new system, which is vastly different from the old system, under guises of global warming or cooling or climate change or resources, um, scarcity, that type of thing. That's how they're doing it now. And they're training the children in school uh, so that they're, they'll grow up thinking it's all quite natural to own nothing, to live in Agenda 21's little rents, uh, rent-a-shack places where there's no uh, personal property, no private property, and no private cars, essential vehicles only. And we all get down at midday every day and worship uh, the jolly green giant. Basically, that's what you're getting brought up into. So that's what the wars are all about and everything else is all about. So, as I say, help yourself to the audios. There's lots of them there. There's also transcripts and all of the sites listed at cuttingthroughthematrix.com for prints up. And you can go into Alan Watts Sentient, sentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. And you can support me now by uh, buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com because I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I don't push politics because, believe you me, if politics works, you'd never be in the mess you're in now. Never would have been. Uh, that politics is owned by the one system at the top. Always has been. We have never had democracy. Never. So you can buy the books and discs, as I say, from the US to Canada. You can use a personal check. You can use an international postal money order. You can use PayPal. Some people just send cash. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and once again, PayPal. 
But what I try and do is simply go through the histories of the big organizations that, that blossomed openly in the 1800s and then right through into the, 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 the 20th century. And they published lots of their plans, especially the members who partook of the international meetings that they had and still have across the whole world. Every, almost every week there's some international organization having a meeting under the auspices of the United Nations. And they're quite open about where they want to take the world. And so everything else is really fluff. All Everything else in mainstream is simply distraction, or especially emotional distraction. If you get into an emotive argument over something, you, you can't think logically. You can't keep your head and think through it and think, why are they doing this? What did they gain? That's what you always have to ask yourself. And always try and keep cool and become detached. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and this is amazing, this big system's been around for such a long time, we grow up in it, and we expect, of course, for some strange reason, that media will tell us the truth about the big things that we should really know about, because they matter so much, but media doesn't do that. And I've gone through some articles in the past where uh, certain journalists themselves who had contracts to, to big uh, newscasters uh, were not allowed to air their stuff because it was too revealing and um, one of them was about Monsanto, apparently, I think it was. I think it was Fox News. They'd taken on a team, a journalist, signed a contract, and then they didn't allow them to, to show any of their stuff. So uh, the team took, went all the way to the Supreme Court of the U.S., and the judge ruled uh, that, um, that the news doesn't have to tell the truth. It's, it's nothing about telling the truth, in fact. It's just data. Most of it's propaganda. But there's no law written anywhere that newscasters must tell the public the truth. And that ties in, of course, exactly with what Brzezinski talked about a long time ago. He said that shortly the public will be unable to think for themselves or reason for themselves. He says, he says the time is coming. It's actually there then, but he says the time is coming when they'll expect the media, especially television media, to, uh, to do the reasoning for them as well. And, of course, they don't do, do that. To, 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 well, they will do reasoning. They'll bring you to the conclusions that their masters want you to arrive at. It's done very simply by, generally by omitting half of the, the story. Here's the other side of the story. You see, you never get the other side of the story. Uh, so we've been brought down to uh, a very primitive level of what you call newsmaking. And, unfortunately, um, we've forgotten. Our, our grandparents didn't forget that newspapers and newscasters were owned by big corporations, and you, you could never trust them. But they took a generation to drive that out of us, thinking they're all nice people, you see. And people really do believe that now. In fact, they're so naive now, they would wonder why the media would want to lie to you. That's how naive they are. Big, massive, multi-billionaire corporations would lie to you. Why would they want to do that, I wonder? But... Uh, we're ruled very, very well by a system, a system established a long time ago. And this system, as I say, uh, knew darn well that it'd have revolutions every four, five, six years if they didn't come up with a new system to fool the public, and they called it democracy, you see. 
Democracy, by the way, is never a static thing. It's not written in stone and that's it. It's elastic. And every few years they'll, they'll, they'll reinterpret, in university levels, they'll reinterpret what democracy is. An elastic band, you see. And, um, and, and they're still doing it today. So the only right in a democracy is to elect someone. That came out in Canadian courts, by the way, when someone in a local government took a councillor to task uh, because uh, he went against all the promises he'd made and he did things to the detriment of the public. And so this fellow took him to the court and same thing happened. Uh, it's happened elsewhere. Uh, that uh, basically the judge says the only, the only uh, thing that a citizen has to do and has a right to do is vote someone and after that it's up to the person who's voted in. Whatever they do, they can do whatever they want. That's democracy for you. And therefore, it's been a very easy game to play uh, on the public. We hear lots of beautiful, wonderful speeches. And if any of them, uh, from any one over the, the half century, had ever come true, we'd be living pretty well today. So they talk good, good talk, but uh, uh, they don't walk, as I say, and uh, it never comes into fruition. We're kept in the dark most of the time because, you see, masters in all ages from thousands of years to the present want a passive an ignorant population. You can prattle off the whole dictionary in a conversation and you'd still be ignorant of what's really going on. And you'd think you're educated. Lots of tricks to this, you see. Another part of, of you too is that not being a psychopathic type yourself, hopefully, uh, you, you can't imagine people being so nasty and mean-spirited as to get together in clubs. Let's call them clubs or big meetings and scheme up unpleasant things to do to you, including bankrupting you along with the rest of the nation when required, or simply putting you down uh, as um, cannon fodder for the next hundred years of war. You can't imagine anyone doing that. Therefore, no one, you think, can do that. Oh, but they do. They really, really do. I've gone through the histories, especially in the U.S., of uh, the real histories of the U.S., not the stuff that you get in Hollywood, where everyone apparently was a cowboy, but the real histories was a takeoff from Europe. In Europe, across Europe in the 1800s especially, uh, you had you had factory towns all over the place. Uh, most housing for the, for the people, and that was the majority of housing, uh, was privately owned. High extortionate rates for little rooms where you're crowded into. Crowded into factory towns owned everything. And, of course, anybody who, who talked about a strike was literally hunted down and often hung. Remember the last one in Scotland was in the early 1900s, two who thought about getting a union together were actually hunted all over the country. That shows you the lengths they go to warn the rest not to do it. And they hung them publicly in a place, I think it was called Stirling. But um, it was the same in the U.S. Same in the U.S. And... Um, the U.S. factory towns give you just enough money, just like a, a fixed society where everything's rigged. And Britain, believe me, it was like this too, uh, where the money that you earned would be gone into the company store just to feed your family and pay your rent. To the back. So it all went around in a circle back to the boss. And you, you couldn't get enough money to save up and move out of an area if you were in a mining town, for instance. And you were stuck there, basically. A 16-hour shift sometimes. And uh, no days off, doesn't matter how many years you'd worked here, there was no holiday days for you. 
and no sick pays, nothing like that. And that went right up until the 1970s, by the way, in the U.S., across different places for those who don't know it. And um, whenever there was trouble, of course, the, the, the boss man would get all his Masonic pals together that owned the towns, etc., and all the cops would be on board with them as well. And that shows you right there and then uh, who they serve. Who they serve. The taxpayers pays for all, but the taxpayers the guy who's going to get the, the bash on the head with the big stick or shot by the very guys that he's paying uh, the, the salaries of. So that's the real history of uh, not just America uh, and Canada too, that strike breakers here too, but also um, across the whole of Europe. And so they came in with this gentler, kinder type of system, first in Europe, it was last to go in America, but first in Europe, and, and they, they kept drumming it up about democracy and, and people's rights. And, uh, and gradually it kind of faded away, not out of reality, but out of, out of our everyday sight. And that's how it was really, really done. But uh, I mentioned a movie before people should see. It's called uh, Matawan. Very good movie about actual events that happens uh, when uh, people get in strike in a mining town in the USA and how the strike breakers came in with the orders just to gun them all down. Well, the sheriffs all looked to the other way. That was the idea of it. And um, and then that one, uh, Harland, USA, is a very good uh, uh, documentary. It goes into the 1970s strikes in a mining town in Kentucky and how, uh, again, there's all the cops on side of the bosses and these guys who didn't even have running water, by the way, by this time, in their homes. And then 1970s America. It's just astonishing, but Hollywood has given a great counter to that. You see, everyone, everyone was a cowboy, apparently, and singing Roy Rogers songs. We've never, ever, ever had a freedom. There's always been an elite, and it's been well written about by people who were part of that elite. Uh, Lord Bertrand Russell is an excellent source to start because, I don't know, he was about the third or fourth Earl of something or other, uh, his his uh, predecessors all had worked for the British government in high capacity, and um, and he talked about the, the, this new scientific uh, uh, tyranny they'd bring in. That's what he wanted. He says a scientific tyranny where experts rule us from cradle to grave. That will keep the people quiet and happy in, in their places, basically. And he went through it to to a lot of extent. A lot of them also went into the Socialist Party because they were all on board with this agenda. They were getting funded by the banks, the same as everybody else was. And their idea was to bring out the perfect society, but gradually killing off all the useless eaters, as they, they call them. That's the terms they use them over a specific period of time. And they, people like Russell mentioned the food, using poisons in the food for sterilization and, and reducing life expectancy. He said also the water supply, we could add things to the water supply. Have a good look and ask your, your local council what's in your water and get it in writing, by the way, and get a printout. And, and also the needle. They would use the needle, you see, inoculations, to make sure we weren't, we weren't just too smart for our own good, basically. This is a war that's been fought for an awful, awful long time. Those who have power and those who don't. It's been going on for thousands of years. There's nothing new in it. Plato himself uh, wrote quite extensively about authority 
and obedience to authority and how the state authorized all cultural changes from the top down, not from the bottom up. Because if it's from the bottom up, it would belong to the people and it might have unforeseen circumstances. So you always, your fashions, everything, your stage plays were all sanctioned from the top down. Just like today, all the filth you're watching on television is from the top down because they want a degenerate society right now. And they've got it, by the way. They've got it. Degenerate. By design. But we've never had a, a time, really, when we've not been spied upon. Even before the computer, I've gone into some of Jacques Elul's exposés on uh, how government worked and managed the cities and the public. In the 1950s, they had thousands of spies, 5,000 alone just in the inner city of London. Full-time spies who went around bars and coffee shops listening to gossip. And it was the same everywhere else. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix talking about reality. Reality, we actually don't like reality too much because it's not too pleasant really. We like happy endings and we like nice smiling faces on the news shows. And uh, I don't know why they all shout now. Have you noticed that? All the newscasters kind of yell like they do with the, the entertainment women that come up there and they yell. They've got 200 amps sitting behind them and amplifying power, but they ought to yell. You know, you could whisper through that and hear them perfectly clearly. But they got to, this is the new way of getting through to you. It's also a form almost of talking down to you, like you're a child in a sense, or you're half deaf. But anyway, that these are not by mistake. All these things are thought of by psychologists to grab your attention and, and to put you into a, a, almost a subversive mode, uh, or subservient mode, I should say. You should be subversive, but you're into a subservient mode to listen to them. Because when people yell at you, you generally buckle down. And everything's done by design. Nothing's missed. But um, as I said, Elal mentioned this too, about all the spies throughout Britain and he said all the first world countries. And they've had them all since the 50s with Kardec systems, with old card systems that were on a sort of wheel. And everyone had a spy in your, your streets all along who would talk to the cops and just give them the gossip. And it was a gossip that they built up their cases on, you see. And uh, everyone's been monitored then because his government's very, very, uh, very, very worried about you. Are, you. are you happy being a nobody and talking nonsense? Or are you maybe becoming a somebody because you're thinking to yourself and, and, and thinking and your brain's working and you can communicate to others? Then you're a problem. And Bertrand Russell said that very thing, that those people who they couldn't take under their wing and recruit into the higher level, if they were willing to leave their parents and their whole class behind them, he said, those who wouldn't do it would have to be eliminated, he said, bumped off. That's how much, that's how seriously they take it all at the top. It's never changed. And as I say too, you've got to see Metamon, as I say that again, plus Harlan County, USA, and it's a 1976 documentary to show you how the U.S. really was. And it was like that pretty well across a whole a whole lot of the country, uh, these factory towns. Rockefellers had lots of them too. They all did. And you were basically a slave in your own, uh, even your own home, I suppose. 
you're, you're renting it. But uh, the people stood up, and many of them died for it, by the way, because straight pickers came in uh, with guns in their hip pockets. You can actually see them coming in that. And the cops standing and looking the other way in case any shooting started against the poor peasants. And that's the way it's always, always been in reality. So he's an article here about Big Brother Returns to Orwell's England. Well, I would say, I would say that actually it's the wrong title. It's always been there. It says, it seems the U.S. government is not the only one sporting a big brother demeanor. The British government is now revisiting previously considered plans to create databases that would enable spy agencies to monitor emails, phone calls, and text messages, as well as websites visited by everyone in the U.K. In other words, you see, they never stop what they're doing, even if they pretend that they have. Entitled the Communications Capabilities Development Program, which gives it sky's the limit there, eh? The scheme would be set up under anti-terrorism laws in much the same way the Patriot Act functions in the U.S. U.K. officials contend that its goal is to closely monitor suspects before the 2012 London Olympics in July. Why not scrap the Olympics? Because very few folk watch them now anyway. And it costs so much money. They've never made a profit for anybody except the guys at the very, very top. The rest of the public had to pay it off for years. All the debt that's left. Anyway, the proposal conceived by MI5, military, that's military intelligence 5, a government agency dealing with domestic threats, and MI6, which combats overseas threats, and the government communications headquarters, GCHQ, could be announced as early as May. Those agencies would be given access to records kept by companies such as Vodafone and British Telecom. British spy agencies would be permitted not... Uh, only to evaluate all communications exchanged, but also to match internet browsing histories to IP addresses. This is the same thing they've rolled out across the whole darn world. Under the plan, communications networks would be required to store the data for a full year. They said that years ago, too, they were doing it then. The proposals included even social networking sites such as Facebook and Twitter, which are all part of the NSA. I added that part in because it's true, as well as gaming sites. It says, for the first time, the security services will have widespread access to information about who has been communicating with each other on social networking sites such as Facebook. Direct messages between subscribers to websites such as Twitter would also be stored, as well as communications between players in online video games. Naturally, such a proposal has drawn the ire of freedom lovers in England. Jim Killock, executive director of Open Rights Group, a civil liberties campaign organization, declared this would be a systematic effort to spy on all of our digital communications. No state in history has been able to gather the level of information proposed as a way of collecting everything about who we talk to just in case something turns up. Well, they've been doing this, folks, for years. I've read articles here with them in doing it. They actually give them from the internet providers. They'll hand this stuff to universities. They've been studying all your emails and who you talk to and, and doing your cluster groups, they call them, for the last five, ten years. Gus Hosein of Privacy International pointed out this will be ripe for a hacking. Every hacker, every malicious threat, every foreign government is going to want access to this. And if communication providers have a government mandate to start collecting this information, they will be incredibly tempted to start monitoring this data themselves so they can compete with Google and Facebook. No, Google and Facebook belong to them too. It's all part of international security. It's not made up by little guys a university that's handed about 10, 15, 20 million dollars to start it up with. Are you kidding? Rags to riches. Good story. Back with more after this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix and talking about Big Brother. You know, it's always been here, Big Brother and Son of Big Brother and so on and so on. And, and it, says, it says here the Open Rights Group is now circulating an online petition against the controversial program, calling it pointless and expensive and illegal. The petition explains this Kafka-esque intercept modernization plan was stopped near the end of the last government but was quietly revived in the 2010 spending review. It's amazing how they slip it in somewhere else. They always do. They never, ever stop what they want to do, do they? Never, ever. And it's just in as the Communications Capabilities Development Program. Now closed-door discussions have been revealed and legislation will be proposed in May. Those who signed the petition, and the link is on uh, this one I'll put up tonight at cuttingthroughmarriage.com are putting their name to the following statement. I do not want the government to try to intercept every UK email, Facebook account, and online communication. It would be pointless, as it would be easy for criminals to encrypt and evade. And it says, an expensive would also be illegal. Mass surveillance would be a breach of her fundamental right to privacy. Do I actually have that? Who's, who told you that? Please cancel the communications capabilities development plan. I'd drop the please out of that. As alluded to earlier, this is not the first time the British government has considered such an extreme proposal. In 2008, the government announced its intent to launch a massive central database that would have gathered information on every text, email, and phone call circulated in the United Kingdom, as well as every website visited. Well, they've been doing all that along. See, they don't need a bill for that. They do it regardless. You do know that. It's even in the movies. <laughs> that plan, called the Interception Modernization Program, would have permitted the GCHQ, where the signal intelligence, which is called SIGINT, functions to place a live tap on every electronic communication in Britain under the guise of preventing terrorism. And so here they are back with the same darn thing again. And this does go on into other uh, parts of it too. This is the London Times and Register then exposed details of a secret mass internet surveillance project known as Mastering the Internet called MTI. That costly system was enacted by the GCHQ with the help of the American global aerospace defense and technology firm Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin, you see, is one of your new feudal overlords, big military industrial contractor, but also does all your, your uh, census, by the way, for your governments. The census, they do that too. And they also put stuff over to India to get done there. Even, I think they even deal now with uh, your tax returns as well. They put them over to India. This Lockheed Martin, they're very diversified uh, from a guys, from guys who came into uh, the, big, the big time by bombing people across the planet, which they still do. And the British IT company Detica, Lockheed Martin was reported to have made 20, 200 million pounds from the deal. Not bad, eh, at the top. This is according to the register. The system uncovered today by the register and the Sunday Times is being installed under a GCHQ project called Mastering the Internet. It will include thousands of deep packet inspection probes inside communications providers' networks, as well as massive computing power at the intelligence agency's Cheltenham base, the concrete donut, they call it. So anyway, for those that want to continue with the net, uh, you should do something about it or at least prepare to get off it, because that's where I think lots, lots of us are actually intending to go alternate means of communication, because 
uh, people really, it's like the phone, it's like the phones. I get people phoning me and they will sometimes say things that they shouldn't say. And I have to remind them and really remind them, do you understand there's a third year on every phone call? They can't help themselves. They keep forgetting it. You understand if something is technically unobtrusive, and they've done lots of studies to do this unobtrusiveness. For instance, elderly folk have had these cameras placed inside their homes to watch them uh, everywhere you go. But they're, they're little fisheye cameras. You don't see where they are. And so because you can't see them, it's unobtrusive, and you forget they're there. It's the same thing with monitoring you or on the phone. You don't hear the third person generally, except in the early days. You used to hear them coughing when they're listening to your phone calls. But but nowadays it's very quiet, silent. But they're still monitoring and keeping all those those those, those uh, phone calls. So use your heads. Use your heads. You've got to start using your heads. And most folk have not. They've forgotten it because it's unobtrusive. Now. Another big part of the plan, of course, they talked about years ago, back in the 30s, in fact, 40s and 50s. Uh, even Julian Huxley talked about he was all for it. Aldous Huxley, the brother, was all for it too. And even put it in Brave New World. And uh, Bertrand Russell was all for it. Many of the big players right to the present time were all for bringing pharma into drugging children. For the peace, you see. Peace of the world. And also, they wanted to drug those with the potential abilities to be have leadership qualities. And this article says, would we have drugged up Einstein? How anti-authoritarianism is deemed a mental health problem. We're increasingly marketing drugs that are essentially, supposedly, cure anti-authoritarians. And it says, in my career as a psychologist, I've talked with hundreds of people previously diagnosed by other professionals with oppositional defiant disorder. This is this new BS they've put out there. Attention deficit hyperactive disorder, anxiety disorder, and other psychiatric illnesses. And I'm struck by how many of these diagnosed are essentially anti-authoritarian. And two, those professionals who have diagnosed them are not. And explains this. It's really interesting, something I've always known, mind you. It says, some activists lament how few anti-authoritarians there seem to be in the United States. One reason could be that many natural anti-authoritarians are now psychopathologized and medicated before they achieve political consciousness of society's most oppressive authorities. They're drugged at school, mainly young boys. And it says, why many health professionals diagnosed anti-authoritarians with mental illness. He goes on to say, gaining acceptance into graduate school, this is very important, it's across the world, the same system, or medical school and achieving a PhD or MD and becoming a psychologist or psychiatrist means jumping through many hoops, all of which require much behavioral and intentional compliance with authorities, even those authorities one lacks respect for. It says the selection and socialization of mental health professionals tends to breed out many anti-authoritarians. All you get are the, are the, or those that are on board, generally, with a lot of problems themselves, you know, straight back and, and all the rest of it. They're, they're just, they're just control freaks. In other words, I've been good, so why aren't you? That's their attitude. And good to them means obey, obeying those above them. Obedience, obedience is very important. Degrees and credentials are primarily badges of compliance. That's why you get them. You understand, when you come out of school with a degree or certificate from school leaving, uh, that's really uh, your official stamp that you're now dumbed down enough to, to work in your system. 
and you're compliant. That's what it is. So degrees and credentials are primarily badges of compliance. Those with extended schooling have lived for many years in a world where one routinely conforms to the demands of authorities. Thus, for many MDs and PhDs, people different from them who reject this attentional and behavioral compliance appear to be from another world, a diagnosable one now. I says, I have found that most psychologists, psychiatrists, and other mental health professionals are not only extraordinarily compliant with authorities, but also unaware of the magnitude of their obedience. Then you can put this into police too, you know, go and shoot those people, okay. It's the same thing, same in the military, same techniques are used. And to get up the ranks and to stay in it and get more little stickers and, uh, you know, more little papers to put on your wall, uh, you, you, the more obedient you become. Part of the, you become basically institutionalized into the system. Says, and it also has become clear to me that the anti-authoritarianism of their patients creates enormous anxiety for these professionals and their anxiety fuels diagnoses and treatments. In graduate school, I discovered that all it took to be labeled as having issues with authority was not kissing up to a director of clinical training whose personality was a combination of Donald Trump, uh, Newt Gingrich, and Howard Cosell. When I was told by some faculty uh, uh, that I had issues with authority, I had mixed feelings about being so labeled. On the one hand, I found it amusing because amongst the working class children I grew up with, I was uh, considered relatively compliant with authorities. After all, I had done my homework, studied, and received good grades. However, with my new issues with authority, label made me grin because I was now being seen as a bad boy. I was also concerned about just what kind of profession I had entered. Specifically, if someone had, such as myself was labeled as having issues with authority, what were they calling the children I grew up with who paid attention to many things that they cared about but didn't care enough about school to comply there? Well, the answer soon became clear. Mental Illness Diagnosis for Anti-Authoritarians The 2009 Psychiatric Times article called ADHD and ODD Confronting the Challenges of Disruptive Behavior reports that disruptive disorders which include Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder and Oppositional Defiant Disorder are the most common mental health problems of children and teenagers. ADHD is defined by poor attention and distractibility, poor self-control and impulsivity, and hyperactivity. ODD is not part of the odd fellows, by the way, although maybe later in life they join them. ODD is defined as a pattern of negativistic, hostile, and defiant behavior without the more serious violations of the basic rights of others that are seen in conduct disorder. And odd symptoms include often actively defies or refuses to comply with adult requests or rules and often argues with adults. So I'll put this link up tonight too, there's three pages all together. And it's quite a good article because you see, you don't realize as you go through life, you've been trained, you've been trained into compliance. In the military you get it, you get more little uh, bits of metal to wear there and more little colored ribbons. Uh, and um, and that tells you you'll be a good good boy. You know you, you take orders and you fulfill them, and you don't talk back. Same in the police, uh, because they're authoritarian organisations that are used on the public. But you'll find it through institutions of all kinds, and, and definitely through academia, where they give you an extra little honorary this or honorary that to stick in your wall. As I say, as long as you've played the game, and you haven't been too oppositional to anything that they discuss or talk about. That's how you're graded. At school, you see, 
goes through its own quality control system, just like a conveyor belt. Bricks in a wall. You're bricks in a wall, that's what you are. And they just stamp it on you. That's what a leaving certificate is. That's your, that's your, you're approved. You're approved by the quality control inspectors. You, you can now, you know, dumb enough and compliant enough and you're obedient enough to work in their system for peanuts. That's it. And in the States, as they're cutting back everywhere, of course, now too, uh, there's another 27,000 job cuts going in the postal service plans. And it says, um, uh, at the UL Postal Office uh, on August 22nd, 2011, Smith Island, Maryland, blah, this is really too cool. The post service with predicts an annual loss of, of $18.2 billion by 2015, plans to eliminate 5.4% of its workforce by closing almost half its mail processing facilities to decrease costs. The service plans to shut 223 of its 461 mail processing plants by February 2013, Postmaster General Patrick Donahue said in a telephone interview today. The closings will cut about 35,000 jobs offices, said David Partenheimer, a spokesman. It's shutting down the post office and seeking congressional approval to end Saturday mail delivery as more people use the internet to correspond and pay bills. Uh, mail volume fell 6% in the quarter ended, and ended December 31st and may drop 14% by 2016 led by declines in first-class mail, the most profitable the Washington-based service said this month. What they want to do, too, is privatize everything. And sure enough, it's on the same article, FedEx and UPS, uh, because um, it says that the, the changes won't affect United Parcel Service and FedEx, it says, much because of differences in delivery schedules and prices. They're going to privatize everything, you understand. Everything. And you understand that FedEx and... Um, especially for sure UPS, for instance, they're given some sort of strange legality by the government to open everything that they carry and stamp it for customs. They themselves are allowed that. So it's like partly government. And it's a strange private-public combination when they have the authority to do that. Anyway, they claim that closings will cost or save them about $2.5 billion a year. And it's uh, it's pretty sad. As I say, there's an awful, awful lot more going to lose their jobs than that too. As the, the only other alternate means of communication is taken away from you. Mind you, there's always what the Indians did. Uh, and you can use smoke signals. That's what will be reduced to eventually. And all you have to do then is watch the drones flying around looking for carbon and uh, coming down and zapping you. Another article, too, is called uh, Global's Warming's Desperate Caper. It says, for believers in a science that supposedly is settled, global warming advocates are awfully concerned about the need to silence dissent. Last week, the ethics chairman for the American Geophysical Union uh, resigned in disgrace over his role in a, a black bag job meant to intimidate the Heartland Institute, one of the most effective voices questioning the anti-carbon dioxide orthodoxy. On Monday, climate scientist Peter H. Gleick confessed that he stole the identity of a Heartland staffer in order to obtain confidential financial files detailing the private group's finances. Mr. Gleick then spread those papers around the various global warming blogs, intending to discredit the group's work as it were brought, uh, as it was brought, bought and paid for by big oil companies, basically. And ain't that the truth too? 
That particular line of attack is especially pathetic. According to Heartland's publicly available Internal Revenue Service, filings, its budget is about $6 million. The Institute works on educational health care, telecommunication and other issues with only about a quarter of its funds devoted to the environment. Let's compare that to the other side. According to the Government Accountability Office, U.S. taxpayers forked over $26.1 billion to bankroll climate change programs in President Obama's stimulus bill alone. That's just the tip of the iceberg. The European Union also spent $9.5 billion on climate change financing, and the United Nations chips in as well. And, of course, the United Nations lives on your tax dollars as well. So this is the voices shouting that the sky is falling are awarded with Nobel Prizes, Oscars, research grants, loans, and subsidies that essentially are without limit. Compared to this level of support, Heartland couldn't be more of an underdog, but its bark has the climate billionaires on the run. It says the Union of Concerned Scientists went so far as to imply that Heartland's devastating critiques drove Mr. Gleek to commit his crime. It's unfortunate the bitter personal attacks on his colleagues and their work contributed to what he called a lapse of his own personal judgment and ethics. So everyone's getting in on the acts, pros and cons. Now, <laughs> it says here, this is, uh, this is from, about, uh, from India, but it's about China and Britain. And it says, uh, Jaguars and Land Rovers, these are the biggies in Britain, are now to be built in China. India's top vehicle maker, Tata Motors, I hope it doesn't mean Tatters, anyway, BSE, Tata Motors, BO, has selected a partner to build an assembly plant for its luxury British cars, uh, Jaguar and Land Rover in China, uh, a senior executive said on Tuesday. We're waiting for the necessary regular approval, and he wouldn't say much more about it, except they're definitely going to make them there. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and talking about how wonderful it is now that Jaguar and Land Rover companies will be made over in India and China, etc. And it said that um, Tata Motors, which also makes the world's cheapest car called the Nano, bought Jaguar and Land Rover from the US Ford Motor Company in 2008 for $2.3 billion as part of its plans to expand beyond Asia. Wonderful, too, that India and China still is getting a most favoured trading nation status where they can burn all their fossil fuels and pay them peanuts for the workers and, and all that kind of stuff as well. And, and we help to fund that. We're still funding these companies that moved over there. We're still funding them today with our tax money. And you're still talking about politics at home, eh? <laughs> Ramakrishnan, it says, said Tata Motors uh, plans to double its investments in JLR to £1.5 billion a year starting the new financial year to help launch new products and technologies. In recent years, India and China have emerged as key markets for global automakers as car sales in most developed countries have slumped due to economic turmoil. It's amazing through all this turmoil we can still fund these third world countries. Still, we still call them third world countries as we pump billions and billions and trillions of dollars into them via the World Trade Organization and all the treaties that we've signed with them. It says government stimulus packages in both Asian nations along with cheap financing and new model launches have helped drive demand amongst increasingly well-off consumers. 
So if you can get on abroad, it's a good idea to emigrate to one of these countries because at least they'll have some stability for the next 20 to 50 years. Who knows? And also, I was going to put up, it says how to prevent YouTube from keeping a record of the videos you watch. Now, I don't, I don't really put faith in these things because I understand these, whoever they tell you at the top is, is always lying. They'll always keep a, a whole bunch of your stuff, all your records on everything, even when they say they'll delete it. They don't, they, they delete nothing. But it talks about uh, how to, how to, I'll put this link up tonight too to show you how to do it. If you want to go in, because in March, apparently, they're going to keep all your histories, etc. They've already been doing, as I said, and probably will continue to do it. But for those who want to try, it's up to you. This is first click on the pause search history on Google, which will disable the video search logging. Then in the main, on the left, click history, and then the button at the top, pause viewing history, to disable the recording of the videos you view on YouTube. Problem is, you've got to sign on to YouTube to do it all, which is another contract in itself, isn't it? It says, ever you want to go back to having a log of videos you've watched or searched for on YouTube uh, way back, then you can click the Zoom buttons, but that's up to you. But personally, I think there's no point. They've got all the stuff on you, and they don't care at that level about legalities. They've never have. Their top bosses just say, make sure you're watching everybody, and they do. That's, That's how things are done at the top. They don't bother themselves with laws at the top. They don't bore themselves with any laws at all. But I'll put this link up tonight for those who do want to try it, if they want to try it, and um, and may give them some feedback on how, how you get on with it. But uh, it's just disgusting what we're going through. To be expected, of course, it had to come. And as I say, they've been monitoring and recording us from your first personal computer. It's personal. And they give you all that guff that they gave you about or your personal firewall, and it's all yours, and it's secure, and yada, yada, yada. And then you, f- you find out in 95, the government issued that the, all computers, all devices, electronic, must have backdoors built into them by law. In Canada, the States, and elsewhere, 1995, so the government can get in any time they want. That's how you rule. It's called power. you get got the power to do it. Anyway, from Hamish, myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.